Hey, everybody. Tyler Suters with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owner and producer of CES, the most influential tech event on the planet. We are here to get you CES ready. The big show's coming up January 8th to the 11th, 2019 in Las Vegas. And today we are taking on AI, artificial intelligence. It is one of the key ingredient technologies over the next decade. Things like biometrics, whether it's voice or facial recognition, predictive analytics, and you can read that as big data and everything that goes into that, and self-driving vehicles, right? The future of transportation for us. Well, CTA research says that across 12 industrial sectors, AI means big business. Companies adopting AI tech in those 12 industrial sectors all report higher profit margins. And this also applies to consumers as well. We're getting more familiar with AI through voice-controlled smart speakers. And CTA research shows 64% revenue growth here in the U.S. in 2018 on the sales of smart speakers. And that's after only three years on the market. So today, three global innovators, I bet you know well, who are getting more and more involved in the AI space. First, IBM, who has put a name to artificial intelligence, and that name is Watson. Uh, Intel, we'll be discussing both the personal and the societal benefits that AI can deliver. And also a conversation with Yamaha. You probably know the company for musical instruments or motor vehicles. And we'll talk about the latter there, but also some very sage advice for startups in the AI space. All of that is on this edition of CES Tech Talk. Michelle Bookoff Bidek is Chief Marketing Officer with IBM Watson AI. What an exciting place to be, Michelle. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It, it is an exciting place to be. Um, part of that is the potential that AI holds, mm-hmm. right? The things mm-hmm. that it can do, that it may do. Give us a quick level set, if you would. Um, where is reality right now and what is much more conjecture, right? The real AI, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, that that's a good question. And I think sometimes it's hard to separate the reality from the hype, right? So let's let's talk, let's level set on what AI is. So we're talking about artificial intelligence, which is what gives machines the power to learn, adapt to new inputs, and ultimately help us make better decisions. Now, machine learning, which is a subset of AI, analyzes data to make intelligent decisions based on what it's learned. And many AI systems, including our own AI at IBM, which is called Watson, you've probably heard of it, Mm -hmm. uh, uses a sophisticated machine learning technique called deep learning. And deep learning enables AI systems like Watson to ingest vast quantities of unstructured data. Something like 80% of the world's data today is still unsearchable. Things like photos and videos and audio files. Watson continuously learns on the job and constantly improves the quality and accuracy of the results. And so from there, you know, we as people can make better decisions. So part of that hype or that, that mystery that's out there Mm-hmm. is AI working with humans, right? And there mm-hmm. is certainly a, uh, a Hollywood-esque narrative um, that's been around for decades about the power of AI and, and, and what that means for us. Um, right. Where do, where do you see it in terms of AI as an assistive technology or uh, you know, a superlative technology in working with us as humans? 
Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Look, we do believe that AI will change industries and the way businesses operate. But we also believe this is about human and machine working together. The purpose of these technologies is to augment man, not to replace it. So let me let me give you a, a few quick examples, because I think this will, will also show how AI is enhancing the work we do. So um, in the case of Watson, currently it's being used to assist customer service agents answer and respond to consumer inquiries. Um, it's helping lawyers draft legal documents and filings, saving them time and money. And in both of these cases, it's helping these professionals work more effectively and allows them to focus on higher value tasks. Now, here's the one you're probably going to like. Watson is even being used by people who play fantasy football to help them make better decisions about their teams because Watson reads and comprehends and interprets millions of news articles and social content that might impact their players. And so you can actually improve your fantasy outcome. <laughs> Results-driven AI in the, in right? the present. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about uh, the business side? I mean, that's where, where IBM is so well-known has been and has been such mm -hmm. an innovative leader for decades and decades. Absolutely. Um, the idea of AI as a black box, right? If businesses mm -hmm. are building on using AI to make decisions, um, how do they, in turn, or parallel to that, ensure that that level of trust is there too, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's so critical. Look, the only way that businesses are truly going to scale their AI projects is if they trust the outcomes that the systems are producing, right? Um, and the way you in, the way you achieve that trust is by ensuring fairness in your AI models. Because when you have a a model that is steeped in in fairness, it's going to lead to better outcomes. So detecting and mitigating bias is one part of this. But there's also an element of transparency into these systems, right? You called it a black box. We need to demystify that black box and ensure that we've got full transparency into the decisions that these models are making, the recommendations that they're offering, while also ensuring that the underlying models and framework are incredibly secure. Now, I want to I go back to this notion of bias for a minute, if you'll indulge Michelle, me, because sure, bias Michelle. has many dimensions, right? So when people think of bias, we often think of societal attributes, right? Gender, age. But because AI systems comprise models that are trained on data sets, resulting biases in systems are, are likely not because of malicious intent, but rather the inherent bias in that data set. So let me give you an example, mortgage, mortgage application data. So let's say that you were designing an AI system to help approve or deny applicants for large mortgages. Well, you probably trained your underlying models on a set of historical data, let's say the last 50 years of historical mortgage data, um, it's likely that more men than women were probably approved for mortgages during that period because the historical data skews towards men. Well, you're going back so, to the 60s and 70s, absolutely, right? Exactly. And so what's going to happen is if your data is skewed, it is likely then that you are going to make different decisions. So maybe you are starting to approve more men than women for these mortgages because, again, that the data suggests that. But that is an inherent and unconscious bias in the system, and we have to be able to detect that and mitigate. So for people who aren't immediately in the AI space, Michelle, it seems like um, 
the television ads about Watson are the most immediate touch point for many people to learn about about yeah. what Watson is and, and the opportunities there. Um, examples. Watson, as you called out earlier, um, is used in a call center, something that I think mm-hmm. you know you can understand at a consumer level. But then it, it, Watson's usage goes so far down the spectrum. We're talking about, um, you know, like proactive maintenance of, of airplane turbines, which which is far beyond consumer usage. <laughs> um, but those are just two examples. Where else is Watson being used right now that we can we can understand and relate to? Well, we could we could be here for a long time. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair so, enough. And know, I'm going 30 Watson, second commercial by 30 second commercial. So, <laughs> so you know, Watson is all about helping people accomplish more in their daily work. And and we have so many Watson products that are pre-trained for specific industries and professions, just like you mentioned, right? So whether we're talking about um, aviation or we're talking about the legal prevention uh, profession in the example I gave before. Um, but, you know, I want to come back to call centers for a moment because this is one of those areas where I don't think that people realize the value that Watson is bringing to some of the experiences that people have. So, you know, customer service agents in call centers, they need information right away when they are having, when they are engaged in a conversation with a customer. And they want to be able to provide the best answer to customers, but also speed response times. And so Watson is helping them. So example, Bradesco is one of the largest banks in Brazil and has used Watson to support 10 million customer calls with 85% of those customers evaluating the interactions they have as good or excellent. And another client, Ubank, sped up processes for its customer agents. And, and this is going to be somewhat mind-boggling, but they improved response times for more than 400,000 customers and cut down search times by 33%. Yeah, I want to do a full stop pause right there, Michelle. 33% yeah. reduction. It's yeah. really impressive in, in, in today. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it from a a customer experience perspective, you as a customer are going to feel so much better about that engagement and the brand you're working with, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not stopping there. Watson is also embedded into the technology platforms that we see a lot of professionals using today, whether it's Box or Salesforce or Workday. And we're bringing AI to those systems and the workflows that people are already using. So it's going to feel natural when they can start to engage with artificial intelligence and it's going to give them more insight into what's happening with their customers in the example of like a Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Another area we see AI emerging is in advertising. And this is brand new in a first of its kind for the airline industry. Lufthansa is using Watson ads. Now this is an AI powered advertising format that lets consumers engage in totally new ways and have a two-way dialogue in natural language with the brand. So in Lufthansa's case, potential travelers via the ad can ask the brand general travel questions. What's it like to fly with Lufthansa? How do I check in for my flight? And based on the consumer's interaction with the ad, Watson will serve up travel tips, vacation ideas, but also include a link to the flight reservation page. These are really some unique ways in which Watson is helping brands do so much more. Uh, Very cool, Michelle. What about the next step, Um, scaling all these implementations? Um, What do enterprises need if they're going to grow their AI projects and, and really leverage this new AI technology, right? Not just have it on board and be able to check a box to say, yes, we're AI enabled, but really get the most out of it. 
Yeah, you know, it's such a great question. We, we we see in many with many of our client companies that AI is moving beyond the pilots and the simple implementations to much larger scale deployments, but it's still challenging. So to support this, we're excited to uh, announce that we launched this offering called IBM AI OpenScale, which is designed to help companies accelerate the adoption of AI in their enterprise in a few crucial ways. So first, and, and I'll, uh, there, there are three specific ways. First, um, AI OpenScale will help companies provide explanations into how AI decisions are being made. So we talked a little bit before about fairness. Well, AI OpenScale will automatically detect and mitigate bias to protect the fair and trusted outcomes that we talked about. If you can't trust the recommendations a system is making, you won't rely on it. And the same is especially true when we're talking about AI in your organization. So that's number one. So, right, it provides that um, explanation. Second, uh, it applies automation to your AI. So AI OpenScale includes something called neural network synthesis, or what we call NuNets, which allows data scientists to upload their data. And then NuNets designs and builds a model for them from scratch. Now think about that. This is AI building AI. So that's number two. But number three, the key to AI OpenScale is in the name, open. You need to be able to work across a range of tools, frameworks, and environments and support your models wherever they're deployed, whether it's in the cloud or your own data center. And that's why we created AI OpenScale. It's open by design, meaning that it integrates with common AI tools, frameworks, and environments across clouds, public, private, or on-prem. So what about the next step? And I don't mean just the year ahead, Michelle, but but the years, plural. Um, IBM CEO Ginny Rometty is delivering the opening keynote at CES 2019. I'm sure she'll lay out her vision, the company's vision for, for way, where AI belongs. But what about Watson? Um, how about a little sneak peek at what, what what's up next? Yeah, well, I'm certainly not going to steal Ginny's thunder. No, um, <laughs> wouldn't you know. ask you to. No, no. <laughs> You know, I, I really do want to talk about one of the hidden gems, one of the greatest assets in building the future vision of AI or Watson, um, and it's IBM Research. They've been a huge driver of our innovation in AI, and one of the key reasons that IBM has been the top U.S. company for patent awards the past 25 consecutive years. Our inventors received more than 9,000 patents in 2017 alone. That is remarkable. But one of the most exciting new breakthroughs in AI is a system called Project Debater. I don't know if you saw, but back in June, it engaged in the first ever live public debate with humans. Right, right. And so this this system, it goes beyond search-based discovery technologies that we're used to, to working with humans to discover, reason, and here's the key, present new points of view. So now let's think about how do you use this? Well, businesses could use this technology to understand multiple perspectives on a decision, allowing for more nuanced reasoning and prompting users to really challenge some deep set beliefs. So, for example, financial advisors could use pro-con analysis to surface facts that would help them find the right product for a client. Or a lawyer preparing for a trial could use summarization to research the right legal precedents to take to court, as well as test the strengths and weaknesses of a case using a mock legal debate. 
And this is only the beginning for what we believe is truly new, exciting technology that's coming only from IBM. Okay, so Michelle, debater, I understand we're going to see that as part of your uh, presence at CES 2019. That's an exciting way to kick off. Absolutely. Well, you can certainly come by the Las Vegas Convention Center. We're going to have an incredibly large presence there. You'll see debater and you'll see uh, quite a few more exciting things uh, that we have planned. But I would say to everyone, don't miss Tim Lamedi's keynote, of course. That's, I think, going to be the highlight of the event. All right. Michelle Bookoff Bidek is Chief Marketing Officer with IBM Watson AI. Exciting times at, at IBM, and I'm sure much more to come. Michelle, great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Julie Choi is with Intel, where she is Global Head of AI. Julie, great to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tyler. Great to be here. Uh, so let's talk a bit about your role. Uh, global head of AI, I get. Global head of marketing, I understand. But you put those two together, and it's an indication of the the emphasis, the premium that Intel is putting on AI as, as a business strategy right now. Absolutely. It's such a privilege to be working on AI marketing for Intel. Um, as many of us know, AI is becoming a huge part of our lives in every experience, and um, through the development of our software and our hardware and processor technology, Intel is really finding ourselves at the heart of um, powering so many of these new types of AI experiences. And it's my job and pleasure every day to look for exciting examples that take AI from theory to reality uh, through the stories that our uh, partners and our collaborators are, are building every single day. So what are some of the stories you're seeing that are really catching your attention and amazing you right now? Yeah, there's just so much going on in the world of AI and so much innovation, both in the science and in the application of the science to many different industries. Um, I'm really excited to see AI touching and transforming industries like healthcare and medicine, um, but it also is relevant to um, just everyday, you know, experiences like online retail and the search that's powering that, or the recommendations that we see in our social networks, or even the graphics that we're seeing, you know, the, the amazing creatures that we see in movies. So um, it's just uh, thrilling to see how AI is becoming a part of, of every aspect of our lives in this way. So you would certainly agree that AI is already impacting our lives today in, in largest way and small. We cited some of those. Um, how do you define that? I mean, what is an impact through AI on the way we're living our lives now or little elements of what we do every day? Sure. So why don't we talk about some examples, right? So I mean, one element of my life every day that I'm sure uh, people might be able to relate to is search, right? Searching um, for information on the internet. And um, one of the partners that we've been working with over the past few years is Microsoft, and um, specifically on powering the way that their search engine, Bing, is delivering you know, world-class search results to the end users of Microsoft Bing. And the way that that's happening is um, through 
the processing of um, the information on Intel FPGA technology, and um, specifically it's in collaboration with Microsoft Bing and a platform that Microsoft has built for AI called Project Brainwave. And Project Brainwave runs on Intel FPGAs to deliver, um, to basically enable Bing to quickly process millions of articles across the web and deliver uh, relevant answers to uh, the users of Bing. What about the bigger picture, some of the larger societal challenges we're facing? Um, I think of smart cities, of resilience, um, and that you know trickles down a bit into... Um, drones or, or self-driving vehicles. But what about those bigger picture ways that, that, that AI is not just engaging or improving our lives, but, but really solving the challenges we face today? Absolutely. I mean, when we talk about the big picture challenges, I think what's really exciting to me is the innovation that I'm seeing um, in the delivery of, of healthcare, you know, to end users like patients in the ER or in the ICU. And Intel, um, we've been able to partner with companies um, like AccuHealth, a Chilean-based startup that's developed a patient-centric healthcare model that um, really enables um, faster uh, analysis of, uh, you know, disease patterns so that patients can receive care and reduce the amount of visits to the ER. And so that's just one healthcare example um, from AccuHealth. But we see other examples in healthcare that are, are truly impactful, such as uh, with Montefiore, which is a, a nationally ranked health system, largest in the Bronx. And they've created an AI platform called POM that stands for Patient-Centered Analytics and Learning Machine. And they're able to take the data uh, through the POM system to reduce patients' time in, I, in the ICU. And so in these types of ways, we're seeing uh, AI solving really large problems in healthcare and delivering um, diagnoses and helping patients faster than ever. So that's an interesting point, Julie. Is that where AI is going to be incorporated in, I say, virtually every industrial sector, but maybe it is every single one, and that is the issue of data analysis, right? The gathering, but more importantly, the, the calculations that go around these almost infinite points of data that we're beginning to capture but can't begin to analyze um, in an effective manner without the help of AI. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, AI, if you want to just think about it in, in the simplest way, artificial intelligence is about... Um, taking data, so large amounts, um, different varieties of data, different velocities of data. I mean, we're all creating data more than ever through our mobile phones, our iPads, our watches, our sensors that we're wearing when we go on our runs. I mean, data is coming from, from everything in our lives, even our vehicles. And what artificial intelligence is, is it's, it's the method. It's the method for taking all of that data and, you know, through the help and expertise of humans, data scientists we call them, or data engineers, we actually turn that data into really useful predictive models. So um, we shape the data into 
into a structure, into a model that can basically um, then inform a computer program, you know, all this data indicates, you know, this pattern. And then we can teach systems to just basically anticipate uh, situations faster than um, humans could because it's just such an, a large amount of data. And we now need computers to help us actually understand, you know, what that data is um, implying about um, disease, about, you know, maybe what I want to eat, what I want to wear, or, you know, um, you know who is uh, popping up on my, on my news feed on an application like Facebook. So I'm going to ask for a bit of a preview and maybe some inside information, Julie, if you don't mind. But uh, Intel's keynote at CES 2018 was spectacular. The talk of the town um, a- after that presentation. What do you all have in store for CES 2019? Because got to believe AI will be the focus and have to believe it's going to be big. Yes, absolutely. We are so excited. Intel is so excited to be a major part of CES 2019. And, I mean, we have a great show planned for for people that come, you know, and who want to learn more about what Intel is doing in AI, but also other areas like 5G and, you know, um, just the data center and uh, IoT. There's really not a part of the, the world that Intel isn't involved because, of course, our processors are really powering the ability to make sense of, of the data that's flowing. Um, and at CES, we'll, we'll basically be, you know, collecting the best of, um, the latest uh, that we're seeing with our customers and the partners that we work with in terms of the applications that they're building and how we're working together to process their data to create experiences that are just really, um, you know, transforming our world. All right, so this admittedly is a bit of an unfair question, maybe totally unfair, Julie, but can you give us a peek behind the curtain for what will be on the show floor? Um, I think uh, a, a preview in terms of a peek behind the curtain, you'll definitely be seeing amazing and new types of um, silicon products from Intel. Um, and then, you know, applications that they'll be powering probably in cars. Um, so we'll definitely have updates um, on uh, autonomous driving and how we're powering, you know, that intelligence there and important industries, again, that are impacting um, everyday problems like, you know, how we're partnering with healthcare providers and doctors to deliver advanced uh, analytics for patients or maybe on the retail side as well. All right. That is certainly enough to get us amped up about what you all have planned uh, at CES 2019. Julie Choi, Global Head of AI Marketing with Intel. Such a pleasure, Julie. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in Las Vegas. Thanks so much, Tyler. Joining us now from Yamaha Motor Ventures, where he is a partner, is Amish Parashar. Amish, great to have you with us from the West Coast today. Thank you for having me. No, no, very kind of you. So, AI and motor vehicles, we hear that inexorably connected with the future of self-driving vehicles, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of a a fundamental thing. It it used to be that vehicles needed to have pistons and crankshafts, and and, and now we're moving into an era where without AI, 
maybe a vehicle might not be possible to produce. <laughs> uh, that is a bit of a transition, right? No steering wheel, not, you know, and, and an absence of a lot of other things maybe in the cabin, we'll see. Where else is Yamaha taking this from the AI standpoint? Um, you're so diversified in terms of getting beyond just passenger vehicles. Um, where else are the applications? What are the, the possibilities there? Yeah, so so we view it as a, a, a kind of a, a manifold problem here and a, and a manifold opportunity ahead of us. Um, as, as you pointed out, Yamaha makes vehicles that that, that cover land, sea, and air. Um, especially here in the U.S., a number of our vehicles are used for recreational purposes. We hope that people buy or use our products, get into the outdoors, and and, and have some adventures, and, and maybe once in a while associate our brand with those um, the, the, those passions and those adventures. Uh, you know, for for us, you know, we'll, we can take a, something like a motorcycle as an example. You know, we we have experimented with self-driving motorcycles. We've we've shown some at CES. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the um, act of a rider on a motorcycle is, is this connection between a person and a machine that that's kind of hard to describe in words, right? We have an emotional reaction to machines and like that as, as human beings. Um, get, getting rid of that riding experience is not our intention, right? But enhancing it is is something we hope AI can help us do. That, that, that's just one example. We, we feel like you know self-driving vehicles um, of all kinds are are coming coming at us pretty quickly here. The uh, the, the major automakers are are trying to uh, create products and vehicles that'll allow us to go from Los Angeles to New York fully autonomously. Uh, all weather conditions, all road conditions, all times of year. Uh, we're taking a slightly different stance in saying that local mobility is is changing very quickly mm-hmm. and that we think lower speed local mobility will be the first to adapt um, self-driving technologies. And so we have a, a number of efforts underway, including some we'll show at CES 2019 that are focused on uh, local navigation and local autonomy. Um, with, of course, AI built in to enable some of those. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about those manifestations, Amish. I mean, what, what will we see when you say this is uh, some of the first AI-enabled transportation technology you know, that we as consumers will see? What it, paint a picture for yeah. me of, about, about where Yamaha sees this going in the, in the near term. Sure. So, so let me, maybe I could start by, by doing the opposite, right? One of the hardest things we can possibly do in terms of um, uh, a self-driving vehicle is, is trying to account for all possibilities, Right. That means a, a country road or a farm road. It means a 10 lane highway. It means motorcycles and bicycles sharing the lanes with cars. It means trucks. Uh, it means bad weather and good weather. You know, it, uh, trying to account for all of those possibilities that, that we do as human drivers is an extremely high bar uh, for an autonomous driving system. Uh, so so we, we've looked at that problem and said, you know, that that's coming. Uh, It's probably a few years away before that's widely implemented. Of course, that means we need to start today on activities like that. Um, And many of those activities have have indeed been underway for some time. But but we look at that and we say, you know, there are shorter term opportunities for for self-driving that we'll see, you know, right around us. And we're starting to see already in commercial ways. For example, getting from my office to the local train station you know, about a mile on on local roads. The speed limit sign says something like 25 miles an hour. It's about a mile of distance. You know, it, it's relatively straightforward to map out that route, to map out alternative routes, and to start driving autonomously in that more um, more 
predictable environment than trying to account for all possibilities. So if, if I say it's a shorter distance and it's a lower average speed, we'll see AI, you know, in the form of self-driving vehicles implemented much quicker. Um, and, and so that, that's kind of one direction we're headed. Mm -hmm. Well, so part of your scope at, at Yamaha Motor Ventures is um, on the VC side, right? On, on uh, looking for the most innovative startups and you know, making business decisions around that and, and the envisioning that goes along with that. What has you excited right now in the AI sector? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, then that, that is part of our responsibility here as the corporate venturing team for Yamaha. Uh, you know, what, what has me excited is really precise applications and uses of AI. Um, and we're seeing it um, in, in several ways. We, we have um, some effort underway on, on our team related to the future of agriculture. Uh, and so AI, robotics, and agriculture harvesting, for example, is a really interesting combination. Again, it's a confined area on a farm or an orchard. Uh, and AI allows uh, farmers to make better decisions or robots to help with uh, very labor-intensive tasks such as harvesting or pruning. Uh, so so we, we're really excited about that, those kind of possibilities. We're, we're excited about other very precise applications. So things like goods or people delivery in, um, in, in small, lower-speed areas, for example, an urban center, a downtown area, or a college campus. Uh, so we like um, the the real precise application of AI. Um, I, I'm getting less and less patient with general purpose AIs or, you know, AIs that are, you know, many years out in the making. I feel mm -hmm. like we have real applications today and that we should be backing those in an aggressive way. So from that perspective, Amish, what is your general guidance or, or, or strategic advice to smaller companies, to startups that are in that space and looking for for major international partners, uh, groups like yours, um, that are in AI and, and, and want to know what direction to take. It sounds like you're saying uh, you know, more specific applications are far more attractive, but is that too much of a generalization? No, I don't think it is. I, I think um, I think it's very attractive. You know, so we, we do invest in, 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 in companies that are kind of pre-revenue, right? And so I, I won't I won't benchmark it on on revenue generation, mm -hmm. but if there's a clear path to revenue from a specific set of customers, that's much more interesting than very advanced technology that may never see the light of commercial day. Um, so, so for example, if somebody says, look, you know, we can use these uh, self-driving vehicles to be able to deliver you know, e-commerce packages from a distribution center to, you know, the, the community that's a mile down the road. And we already have a few potential partners that we're in talks with. To me, that's much more compelling than saying, you know, we have a machine vision system that can do a little bit better than everybody else on the highway. Right. Um, mm -hmm. The technology enables the business in most cases for us. And we're, we're excited about those possibilities more than the, the pure technical achievement. So where are you looking for those innovative startups at CES? Um, do you just beeline to Eureka Park? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your approach there? We, we have a lot of fun in Eureka Park. You know, inevitably, we see a lot of old friends and a lot of partners. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that, that we're, we're lucky to be right in the mix of things here in Silicon Valley. And then our, our travels take us pretty far and wide. We, we have a, a team in Australia um, that, that's working hard uh, down there. Uh, of course, we have a team in Japan that covers Japan and a good chunk of Asia. Um, I just got back from Europe. We're scouting globally. We, we are a global company. Our, our core products are sold in something like 200 countries. Um, and we, we view our responsibility as global. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, Eureka Park has a lot of old friends and a lot of good contacts hanging out there. And we spend time there. 
you know, a number of our um, our investments are done with co-investors, uh, and those co-investors are well-known Silicon Valley VCs, the other corporate venturing groups, um, and, and and generally friends. And so we spend a lot of time with those folks um, in their booths and in meetings that that they're hosting or that we're hosting that we pull them into. You know, the, one of the, the the immense powers of CES is that you know your network ends up being in the same place at the same time, which kind of to me, only happens about once a year. <laughs> I would say precisely once a year, usually the second week of January. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, usually, yeah, that's right. I got you. <laughs> uh, so, so while we're talking about about CES and specifically 2019, Amish, um, what does Yamaha Motor Ventures have planned? What is your game plan for the show? Yeah, so so a few things, you know, um, and it's it, it's quite an exciting year for us. You know, Yamaha's thinking about um, not not only um, you know this year right now, but also thinking about what the future might hold, internally looking as well as externally. Um, and and so you know the the first thing you'll see is the the Yamaha booth is located in the AI and robotics section again this year. We're of course a, a major vehicle manufacturer, but we made kind of a strategic decision to highlight some of our robotics efforts that have been going on for decades, to highlight some of our interest in AI. Um, to highlight some of our uh, land, sea, and air kind of efforts. And so um, come look for us in the robotics and AI section. Um, I think it'll be kind of hard to miss our booth. Um, you'll be able to see that tuning fork logo, I think, for, for, from a couple miles away. <laughs> so, so stop, stop by and say hi. We, we have a, a great team that's, that's um, you know, kind of manning the booth there. Uh, we, we have a special couple of surprises in store that um, I'm not sure I can tell you too much about right now, but we we hope to show that, as I said earlier, that self-driving vehicles are, are here and are useful right now today. And so I think if you go outside the exhibit halls, you'll see some evidence of, of Yamaha vehicles being used in really practical near-term ways. And I hope that inspires some thoughts for um, entrepreneurs, startup companies, even large companies to, to, to see the possibilities um, and, and yeah, so so at least those two things, um, and then there may be a few of us Yamaha folks uh, on stage um, in in various roles, uh, trying to kick off some conversations about the the, the direction we think the world um, is headed or should be headed. All right. Speaking of attention grabbing, um, CES 2018. So, the show this past year. Um, yes. I'm gonna say one word, and I'm gonna let you dive into it and give us an update. And that one word is Motobot. Right? <laughs> One of my favorite projects. Yeah, Amish, go. Uh, I'm just setting you yeah. loose. <laughs> I, I hope you have a couple of hours. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, so no, this was, this Motobot was... is great. And I would encourage the listeners to uh, actually go to YouTube and type in Motobot. Um, and, and if a picture is worth a thousand words, maybe the video is worth 10,000 words. But, yeah. And I bet uh, a lot of people are going to recognize it because it, it got such yeah. great traction. And if you saw it at CES 2018, you did not forget. <laughs> Great. Thank you for saying that. It's one of my favorite projects here. Uh, so so Motobot, for the, those that haven't seen it at CES or um, on, on, online, is a humanoid robot that rides an unmodified uh, Yamaha motorcycle. We got a Yamaha R1M, one of our flagship models, and put this humanoid robot on it with the stated mission of doing two things. One, uh, exceeding 200 kilometers an hour on a racetrack. And number two, beating the best human rider we could find. Uh, the best human rider we could find is actually nine-time world champion Valentino Rossi, <laughs> who rides for Yamaha for in MotoGP. He's one of the world's best riders, um, easily in the in the top few. Uh, and and our goal was to have our robotic rider beat him. 
we, we fell short of that goal. Um, turns out he's extremely good. Um, but we did pass 200 kilometers an hour on a racetrack. And, and you know, j- just from a gut sense, you know, Robo- Motobot, the, the robotic uh, humanoid rider, um, is, is better than I am on a racetrack and better than most humans probably mm-hmm. are. It, it's a wonderful demonstration of what robotics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, some simulation, and a bold, ambitious project can do to kind of advance the state of the art. Um, we're happy to see that many of our competitors in the motorcycle space are are um, are tracking this project and are working on similar efforts now. Uh, that that project started about four years ago, and in rapid fire, you know, the, the the first test runs I were at were on a disused runway going a few miles an hour. Um, and, and the big question at that time was, you know, would it stand up by itself or would it be able to do a few miles an hour on its own without a human being? And, and you know, the, the team was able to check off a whole bunch of boxes in rapid succession to the culmination is the video you'll see online of the, the, the race between Valentino Rossi and, and Motobot. Um, the results speak for themselves. You know, um, we, we, um, we wish we could have um, exceeded his lap time. Uh, but but if you watch the video, it's it's I I, th- I think um, we're, we're within shot of doing it. <laughs> you know, we we often talk about the lightning fast pace of innovation. Um, yeah. Seldom is it actually as fast as lightning, as you as you're <laughs> describing it. <laughs> well, yeah. hey, a lot to look forward to at CES 2019 from Yamaha Motor Ventures, where Amish Parashar is a partner. Hey, Amish, great convo today, and thanks for getting us so excited about AI at CES. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the, one of the joys of being there is to, to be able to walk around the area, see what everybody else is up to and what's getting them excited. I always view it as such a tremendous learning opportunity. And thank you for all of you, the, all of your efforts and everything CTA is doing to make sure CES 2019 is one of the best ever. I'm really looking forward to being there and hope to meet many of the listeners there as well. Thank you so much. We very much want you to be CES ready. So a good first step. Subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any episodes. The show itself, CES 2019, is coming up January 8th to the 11th in Las Vegas. The information you need to get ready is at ces.tech. As always, none of this is possible without our resident superstars, engineer John Lindsay and producer Tina Anthony. You are both the very best. Thank you. For this edition, I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.